Greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Uh, for those who are walking in right now, there's uh, a lot of seats in the front. I promise you, the preachers in this place never peek on the people in the front row. Okay, this is not a comedy special. It's a worship service. So don't feel ashamed to come and sit in the front. I can see people standing. Just come on over. It's better to be late than not to be here. I want to welcome you to the Power Hour. Pastor Henry and myself have... Uh, been doing our best to get into this relationship series. I must confess, is that Sister Jeannie I see? No, okay. I must confess that this was the first time in 10 years deliberately preaching on relationships in this place. It took me a decade, it took you half a decade to finally do it. And I'll be honest with you, part of the reason, even at my age, was this idea that I may not be qualified to do it. But then I thought, I'm just a sinner talking to other sinners. I'm not up here talking about relationships like I got it figured out. If you don't believe me, talk to my wife. She'll tell you. I'm not a pastor. I'm just a man. So when we're talking about these things, it's not from a place of uh, superiority. It's out of the desperation of recognizing that on this side of the pandemic, on this side of the past 20 years of the, the new millennium, relationships have become more destructive than fulfilling. Never mind the rate of divorce. Never mind the rate of abuse in relationships. And by the way, I'm not talking about outside the church, I'm talking about inside. I'm talking about pastors beating their wives and getting up on stage and saying, Jesus loves you. I'm talking about elders telling other people how to raise their kids when his kids don't even know who he is. I'm talking about mothers who gossip about other people's children when they don't even know where their child is right now. And so, for the month of January, we thought, let's, let's talk to the single people. Let's talk to the ones who are looking at marriage as a future event and not a present certainty. And let's see if we can say something that they can take with them into the counseling, into the engagement, and God willing, into the marriage. So I want you to know that me personally, this is coming from a place of desperation because I honestly believe that prevention is better than cure. Amen, somebody? Amen. Having said that, if you're single, raise your hand. If you're, I didn't say if you've got a girlfriend or boyfriend. I said if you're single, raise your hand. Pastor Yo, raise your hand high. Pastor Henry, both hands. If you're single, raise your hand on this side. Don't be shy if you're single, because here's what I'm saying. Those who are married miss being what you are. And those who are married and smart will find a way to be single again. No joke. Not Jada Smith and Will Smith single. No, no, no. I mean the freedom to be yourself and be the best that you can be for your partner. It's not a theory. It can be a reality. Enough ranting. Let's get into the word. You don't complete me part number four. Relationships start with you, not the other. I want to do a recap of my messages or my message that I did two weeks ago. For those of you who are present, I started the message, 10 things I wish I knew in my 20s. I only covered five. Today, I want to cover the other five. And just in case you forgot, just in case you were not here, and just in case it's your first time in the room, I want to share with you the five things I shared last time. 
Number one, we said it's okay to not be okay. There are too many people who are destroying their relationships because they're not in a good place. But even if you're not okay, it's not okay to stay that way. Uh, can somebody please uh, shut down the North Pole? Uh, I'm still recovering over here. The second thing that we spoke about, the person I am and the person I aim to be sleep in the same bed at night. There is a tug of war between the person you're trying to become and the person you struggle with every single day. Accepting that reality and knowing how to manage it is the key to joy as a single person or just as an individual. Number three, spend more time pointing in, not pointing out. We live in the you did something bad generation. We live in the generation where it's somebody else's fault and not ours. This generation blames the previous one. The previous generation blames their parents. Men blame women. Women blame men. Children blame parents. Parents blame children. How about if we get to the place where we look in and not out? If you missed it, catch it online. You will get older. Spend time getting wiser. Aging is a fact. As long as tomorrow follows today, you are going to get old. Work on becoming wiser so that age is not your problem in the future. And finally, seeking freedom should be about destiny and not desire. Stop wanting to leave home because you want to act the fool, but rather start being independent so that you can live a fulfilled life. Let's get in today's message. Ten things I wish I knew in my 20s, part two. And my focus is three, but the two are bonus. So if you see me rushing through them, understand that I got work to do on something else. Number one, or number six, not everyone that walks into your life is there to stay. Young man, young lady, I wish I knew in my 20s that everybody that walks in is not necessarily there to stay. In primary school, what some of you call elementary, I had a crush on one of my teachers, okay? Um, at the time, I, I was probably like seven years old and she, I felt she was 40, but she must have been 20 something. And she made the mistake of saying, it's okay, you can call me by name. Oh, that just used to make my heart flutter, okay? I envisioned her and I spending the rest of our lives together. Had no idea what that meant. And so when I moved to another grade and some old moody teacher took over, my heart was sore because I felt as if she should have been my teacher until university. Okay, that was a childhood crush. That's innocent. That's understandable. For some people, they experience the trauma of somebody walking out of their life. A parent leaves, marries somebody else or dies. A sibling leaves, goes to college or whatever, and you were close to them. And so that childhood trauma stays with you throughout your life. And every relationship you get into, even though it is toxic and destructive, you hope the person never leaves. Because for you, it's not about their character. It's not about their toxicity. It's about their presence. Pastor, I cannot be alone. My dad walked out. My mom walked out. So I'd rather be in an unhappy relationship rather than be single. But I'm here to remind you that not everyone that walks in your life is there to stay. So when she breaks up with you, when he breaks up with you, understand that might be a blessing for you. Amen. Some relationships are transactional. 
it is unreasonable to fall in love with the barista at Starbucks. She's there to serve you coffee. I don't care how cute or beautiful the air hostess is, that's her job. Her job is to smile at you. You don't get to plan the rest of your life with her. That relationship is transactional. You're there to pay for something and leave. People fall in love with their doctors and their psychologists because they're nice to them. But I want to remind you that relationship is transactional. The other type of relationship is transitory. The relationship I had with my uh, uh, elementary school teacher, that was transitory. I was with her for a couple of months, if not two years, that was it, it passed on. Granted, sometimes you fall in love with your high school sweetheart, you go to the same university, you get married, you raise kids together. A few people have that story. Not everybody met on Facebook. Not everybody met on Tinder, God forbid. Not everybody met on social media. Some people grew up next door each other. But a transitory relationship oftentimes will end. And then you have what I call timeless relationships. The relationship you have with your parents. No matter how much you hate them because they didn't buy you a PlayStation 5. That relationship is timeless. No matter how much they don't like the relationship you're in, that relationship is timeless. You can go overseas, go to another state, go to another city, but they will forever be your family. You can't get rid of them. Marriage ought to be timeless. Parenting ought to be timeless. That person is there forever. Forever, forever, ever. So I'm asking you right now, is your marriage transactional? Is it transitory? Or is it timeless? Because when you said, tell death do us part, I don't think you understood what that meant. Not everybody that walks in your life is there to stay. Maybe the words transactional, transitory, timeless don't make sense. Let me put it in a simple statement. People meet for a reason, a season, and a lifetime. You decide which relationship should be better. I know people, pastor, who love or appreciate more the people that work in a store than they do their own family. I know a man who loves his car dealer more than he loves his children. I know a man who knows more about his banker than he knows about his wife. I know a wife who knows more about the sales lady at Louis Vuitton than she does about a child's school. That's number one. Number two. In my 20s, I wish I understood that I will put your needs above mine, but I will always put my growth first. There's this uh, reverse understanding, Pastor. When, when people are young, they love as if they're married. But when they're married, they love as if they're young. When they're married, you can't go anywhere without telling me who, you, who are you with? What are you eating? How did you get there? Who's this girl I see behind the photo at the table behind you? Who is she? What's your password on your phone, your laptop, your iPad? I want to know everything about you. But when you get married, all of a sudden, there's a distance now. Why is it that people in their 20s fight to get married? They disobey their parents in order to be together. But all of a sudden, when they're married, they don't put the same effort no more. Now you want to listen to the pastor. Now you want to listen to your parents because everything is going the wrong way. My idea is why not be young when you're young and be married when you're married. Amen, somebody. Because when you're young, it is not my responsibility at the age of 18 to deal with your trauma. I'm too young for that. I will always put your needs above mine, but I will always put my growth first. Is this biblical, pastor? Absolutely. Let's read a text. Let's read a text. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 4. 
the Apostle Paul, who apparently was single, debatable, he says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. That's awesome. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Paul doesn't specify whether this is married people or single people. As long as you are a believer, as long as you are a card-holding member of this human race, to make it to tomorrow, to make it to next year, follow this principle. But notice what he didn't say. He never said, be unhappy so that somebody else can be happy. I get it. I get it. Hollywood has told you. Music has told you, love songs have told you that as long as the other person is happy, that's all that matters. Comedians make fun of this pastor. They talk about when a man wakes up in the morning, look in the mirror and tell yourself, you don't matter. Your life means nothing. So go out there and make your wife and child happy. That is not biblical. While it is my responsibility to meet my wife's needs, it is not my responsibility to take care of her growth. I got married in... 2000 and, oh Lord help me, 2016. What, what did you do that, man? Now she's going to think I forgot. You're supposed to have my back, bruh. Okay, so I was married in 2016. Uh, the, the, when I proposed to my wife, obviously, uh, I went the traditional route, okay? Because I'm one year off from becoming a baby boomer. One year earlier, and I have not have been a millennial, okay? So I understand the importance of talking to a parent. I spoke to my mother-in-law. It was cool. I had already met a wonderful woman seven years later, even better than before. But I'd never spoken to my father-in-law before. And by the way, my wife hasn't sanctioned what I'm about to do. Somebody said it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. So we went to meet my future father-in-law. And I, I, was, I was scared. Okay, naturally, moms are cool. But girl dads, that's another story. So I'm sitting with him, and unfortunately, she had to come because she needed to translate. He understands and speaks English, but he preferred to communicate in the local language. And me being as adventurous as I am, why not, right? And so we're sitting across from each other in the restaurant, and so uh, she nudges me, say something. I'm like, what am I supposed to say, right? And so I open my big mouth, and I'm like, uh, sir, uh, I want to marry your daughter, and I made promises. I'm not even sure if I've kept them, but I made some promises. And he looked at me, and he said... If you were somebody else, if you were not a pastor, I'd have asked about your family, your background, your finances, and all that kind of stuff. But for you as a pastor, I want you to do one thing only. Make sure my daughter makes it to heaven. Now, me and my debate mind, in my head, I, I wanted to say to him, uh, with all due respect, sir, it is not my job to get her to heaven. But pastor, I want the girl. And I said, yes, sir, I'll make sure it happens. Listen to this. Same chapter, following verses. Paul says to the congregation, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Back to the previous text. Paul says, listen, don't be selfish. Stop making it about yourself. And I want to confess right now, and my wife will testify, that when we first got married, there was a selfish spirit in me that cared more about my work than it did about her. 
It got to a point, Pastor, and you know this, we hardly saw each other because I was grinding for this. She was doing her job. The pandemic was the greatest thing that ever happened to my marriage. Being stuck in the same house allowed us to connect in ways we had not done so in the first three years. Now, is it a perfect marriage? It's a working progress every day. But sadly, for a lot of couples, the pandemic reveals some cracks. Do you know that statistically more divorces have taken place because of the pandemic than before? Do you understand that being in the same space and not having a job as an excuse has caused people to become apart than together? And that's because the selfish spirit takes over. I had to process that even though serving God is important, she and my son are my first church. But at the same time, it is not my job to get her to heaven. That's what she needs to do. Amen, somebody. Work hard. Because at the end of the day, what matters more to a believer, I must qualify a believer because it's unfair to apply rules that people don't believe in to a believer. Your first job is not to please your husband, it's not to please your wife, it's to please God. God first and everybody else after. Amen, somebody. Stop being like Samson. Oh, I hate the fact that Samson has this bad example of being a humanizer. Samson met a woman in Timnath and his parents told him, don't do it. But Samson says, she pleases me. Because that's what mattered to Samson. Let's call him Samuel. <laughs> Taking care of yourself doesn't mean me first. It means me too. That's what it means. You got to take care of yourself. I see mothers killing themselves for their children. I see mothers depriving their husbands of sex for their children. You forget that one day those little brats are going to leave the house. I'm sorry, those beautiful God-given children. They're going to leave the house one day. It's just going to be you and your partner. Stop sacrificing the marriage for your children. Your husband, your wife came first before them kids. If you love each other as husband and wife, guess what? You'll make great parents. Yeah, I understand why single people are the ones who are excited about this. I get it. I told you, this is stuff that my wife and I struggle with every day. The natural instinct of a mother is to make sure that a child is safe, provided for, and has everything, even at the expense of her own heart. But I'm here to tell you, take care of yourself, not because you're selfish, but because you need it also. Amen, somebody. I want to hear all the women say amen. Let the husband say thank you, pastor. Number three. This is a two-part. And you got to hear this. You can never change for someone else. And you can never change someone else. I'm not sure who said this. I'm not sure who said this. It's attributed to Albert Einstein, one of those most smartest minds in the world. But there's no certainty that he said it. Whoever said it, men marry women with the hope they will never change. Women marry men with the hope they will change. There's this idea when you're single, ladies, that you dress up, you look cute, you smell nice, you, you got it all together, you're listening, you're paying attention, you're laughing at his silly jokes, and he thinks, I'm going to marry this woman. She thinks I'm funny. She thinks I'm fit. She thinks everything I do is amazing. She has no problem with my career. It's all good. But all of a sudden, once you're married, she asks you, so when are you going to do your master's? Uh, when you're getting a promotion at the office, when you're going to become the elder of the church, when you're going to do this and when you're going to do that, all of a sudden I said, whoa, why are you trying to change me? 
It sounds funny, but that's exactly what's happening. Pastor, she's not who she used to be. She's no longer fun. We don't go out anymore. It's all about the kids. I can't remember the last time we went on a vacation. In fact, pastor, we went on a vacation, an expensive vacation, but I spent my time being the cameraman for her and the kids. You've stopped being fun. You've stopped being humorous. You've stopped being sexy. You've stopped being all these things that you fell in love with. And then for you, young lady, you've told yourself that you are the Holy Ghost, that you have the power, the woman intuition, to change this fool into a man who's fulfilled. He told you he was a jerk. He told you he was a womanizer. He showed you his personality while dating. But you told yourself, Pastor, I studied psychology. I know how to change human behavior. And what happens is he's trying not to change. She's trying also to change. Eventually, she starts to shop. He disappears into the man cave. He starts to complain to his secretary. She becomes his work wife. She complains to a Pilates teacher. And all of a sudden, the relationship fell apart. Why? Because he thought she'd never change. She thought he would. Nobody in the history of humanity has changed for someone else. I know you think they did, but they did not. It is one of the reasons when it comes to the subject of religion and belief, I take it seriously, not because I'm judgmental. I said to Pastor Henry, I'm going to say something that's going to shock people today. Maybe it won't. The person I believe needs protection is not the person who's trying to be brought into the church, is not the person in church, is the one that's been brought inside. Whenever I counsel a couple, I care more about the person who's been dragged into this religion because they don't know what they're getting. All they want is the girl. All they want is the guy. They didn't sign up for church. But because your family is religious, you want them to become what your family is, but what not you are. If you can't say amen, say ouch. We marry and date where we are spiritually. Bottom line. That's why I care more for the person coming in because what they have is a hypocrite. What they have is somebody who's not committed to what they believe. And what I've recognized is that when a person comes in, guess what? They become more spiritual than the person who's always been there. So one more time. Take every aspect of the relationship seriously. As far as I'm concerned, religion makes up 1% of what the relationship is. There's enough people in the Adventist church who are unhappy and both of them are Adventist. So stop this religion thing. Stop being biased and hypocritical. Focus on everything. Stop trying to change people to fit your need. Stop trying to change people to fit your need. Marriage is not a place for psychology. That's what counselors are for. Don't try to change somebody. Work on changing yourself. But because by beholding, we become changed. I'm going to talk about my marriage today. No apologies. In my relationship, if I was to ask you to guess, who apologizes first, me or my wife? You would think so because I talk too much. No, she always apologizes first. I've tried to beat her to it, but she always gets there first. Because when I get up here, I stay up there for a long time. I'm looking down like, oh, where do I start? If I apologize, I look, I'm, I'm the wrong person. All of a sudden, she'll come to the home office. Uh, babe, I'm sorry. I know I was wrong, but she's apologizing. Do you know how painful that feels? Because she understands that apologizing is not about being wrong. It's about being a bigger person. I'm growing because of this woman, y'all. Amen? Amen? Stop trying to change somebody. You change.
Look at the person beside you and say, I need to change. I don't know you, but I need to change. Proverbs 27 verse 17, the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so friend sharpens friend. Wait, pastor, you're talking about relationships. Yes, yes, because I honestly believe that friends make great couples. I still don't get why young people say, pastor, I can't marry him. He's a joker. I know everything about him. I've met his family. I know everything. How can I marry him? Really? That's the person you marry. Not the person who made your heart go, go boom, titty, boom. You marry your friend. What else are you looking for? A friend is honest. You know everything you need to know. Marry your friend. Marry your friend. Even if he's in the same church. I know y'all don't like drama. I know Adventists, we, we don't eat meat, but we eat people. But marry your friend. You know everything you need to know. Marry your friend. The whole thought that we're going to become friends after. That's dicey, yo. That's dicey. Iron sharpens iron. Friend sharpens a friend. Imagine if in a relationship, the focus was on growth. I will help you grow, but I can't do it. I will do my best to meet your needs, but I got to focus on me growing first. Because if I'm grown, I can help you. Here's a question I want you to ponder upon if you're single. If you're single, listen to this. If nothing changes in the person's behavior, whatever you know right now that is toxic, if nothing changed, would you still be willing to spend the rest of your life with them? If whatever behavior they have that you think you can change, if you were to be honest with yourself that that behavior will never change, would you still continue with the relationship? Too many times we are spending more time defending our partner to family and friends. Your friends tell you that this is a bad idea, but you keep saying, oh, no, but you don't really know him. He's really cute when he wants to be. Really? How often is that? Oh, you don't know a man. She's not always moody. She's got a sense of humor. It's been two years. I haven't seen it yet. Are you willing to continue with everything that you know? I like this one. Number four, unconditional love is conditional. There's this idea, again, that when you're young, you know everything. You, 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 you are clear on what love is. In fact, you, you are clear on what it means to have unconditional love. But the older you get, the more you realize that, nope, love is not enough. There are conditions that need to be met. Let me put it this way. Let me, let me go back. Let me, let me put it this way to you, right? Uh, 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 love is unconditional, but that's not always the case. Because people must understand what unconditional means. So I'm going to help you with a few words. Unconditional does not mean unreasonable. Example, if somebody is 95 years old and they fall in love with a 20-year-old and the 95-year-old and a 20-year-old want to get married, is that reasonable? Are you married to somebody that's 70 years younger than you? Are you so PC and, and, and afraid to get cancelled that you can't respond to that? Do you think a 95-year-old should marry a 20-year-old? Is that reasonable? I never said, is it possible? I said, is it reasonable? It's very possible. Young girls are marrying old men for their money every day. That's not new. But a 95-year-old and a 20-year-old are so far removed from each other. The 95-year-old probably has five minutes before they leave this world. Can I have kids? Okay, you guys don't like that example. Is your grandfather married to a 20-year-old? Good for him. 
Unconditional does not mean unreasonable. Unconditional does not mean unrestrained. That's what millennials and Gen Z want. They want unrestrained. They want to love who they want, when they want, how they want, how many times they want. They want to remove the labels. They want to remove responsibility. They want to remove the rules, the boundaries from parents and the person they're with. They want to just, what was the term? What's the term for dating without rules, without boundaries? What's the term? What do you call it? No, no, that's from our generation. That is not Gen Z talk. Well, what do they call it? Pastor, what do, what do the young people say, man? That's why I'm asking you. Or they don't say it to you. There's a term I'm looking for. What is it? When you date without rules, what is that term called? Ah, whatever, I'm old. Third one, unresolved. Unconditional does not mean unresolved. I'm going back to last week, I told you. When two people are not okay, I mean trauma, not okay. Clinically depressed, not okay. When two people have experienced a loss, both of them lost a partner, one of them lost a child, one of them, something happened to them. If you call unconditional being unresolved, you have not resolved your trauma, but you want to get married. That is not unconditional. That is a formula for disaster. One more. Unrepentant. You've hurt the person while you were dating, but you never said you're sorry. In fact, you've made them feel like they were responsible for it. You always blame other people but yourself, but the person says, the young man says, but I love her. The young lady says, but I love him unconditionally. And you're willing to go all the way to the aisle, and one day you end up in the ER, and then you end up in the grave. Because they were unrepentant of their behavior, and they kept doing it over and over again in the marriage. Why? Because you said you unconditionally loved them, even though they were unrepentant. One more. Unrighteous. Unrighteous is when you go against the will of God. Unrighteous is when you know you're not living the way you should, but you go ahead and be with somebody you know is trying to live a righteous life. That is not unconditional. That's just unrighteous. Is there one more? That's it. Now, what about conditional? Because people can become unreasonable with conditions. Pastor, I will not marry a man whose net worth is not at least the equivalent of $5,000. Pastor, I will not marry a woman who doesn't at least have cup size, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know the cup sizes. I do, but I'm not going to out myself in front of the stage. All right, Pastor, she has to be a certain height. She has to be a certain complexion. She has to come from a certain family. She has to come from a certain tribe. She has to have certain standards. If they don't have a master's degree, they're not good enough for you. Because guess what? Master's degree make happy marriages. Right? Because your education qualifications make you the right person. Those are unreasonable conditions. There are reasonable conditions. I call them non-negotiables. Everybody should have non-negotiables. When you go on a date, stop talking about your favorite movie. Stop talking about your favorite place to visit. Stop planning your future wedding. Talk about non-negotiables. What are the things you are not willing to part with? Because what happens is, everybody sends their representative to date number one, two, and three. We never go as we are. We send our representative. You know, the guy that opens the door. The one, who, the one who doesn't gossip and talk about other people. The one who loves Jesus and loves the worship service. Everybody sends that person. And until the day you get married, pastor sees the husband is there, but the wife is not. It's midweek, the husband is there, but the wife is not. It's a children's program, mom is there, but dad is not. Why? Because they lie to you. 
They said they would change for you. They became Adventist for you. They became a Catholic for you. But the moment you got married, they're like, ah, you know what happened? Your church is too judgmental. I, I don't like the music. I don't like this. Your, your pastor talks too fast. And he's, he's always moving on to the next point before I say amen. And so they leave. I think I'm having too much fun. So conditions can be self-centered. They can be self-serving. They can be selfish. Only God can love unconditionally due to his infinite capacity to do so. But even his love is conditional. Jesus said, John chapter 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. What comes first, obedience or love? What comes first, obedience or love? Love, pastor. If you love me, keep. If you try to keep without love, it won't happen. And so a lot of the time, people are breaking their backs to honor this person they want to get married to because the family said, you're old enough, get married. And so you comply with all the wishes about the wedding. You comply with all the traditional requirements. Put an apple in a pig's mouth or whatever it is that people do. And after the wedding, all of a sudden, you want your rights back. But even God says, my love is conditional. Do you know what makes love unconditional? It doesn't look at the external. It doesn't look at what you have. It doesn't look at where you come from. It looks at who you are. But love morphs into conditional when you decide to spend the rest of your lives together. Feels like a counseling session, doesn't it? So what's the answer? I'm not perfect. I'm a sin. I don't know what unconditional is. I don't know what conditional is. How do I decide that I'm supposed to spend my rest, the rest of my life with this person? What are the markers I can use? What are the connecting pieces I can apply? I'm a framework person. I came up with a, a, a standard I call the triple C standard. Maybe this will work for you. I don't know. I tried it with my spouse. So far, so good. So number one. Number one is the cause. Number two, community. And then number three, I call it capacity. Pastor, you and I spoke about the third one. And by the way, if you can make them in that order, good. Number one, cause. What is it as an individual that you stand for? What are the virtues, ideals, beliefs that make you who you are? What are the systems that have been the foundation of your existence as an individual? Is it your faith? Is it the traditions your family raised you with? Is it the values that your community brought you up in? You have to have a cause, something you're fighting for. Is it poverty? Is it the polar bears in the North Pole? Is it the trees in the rainforest? Is it the, the tigers in Java? What, what is it? What cause do you live and breathe for? What is it that wakes you up in the morning? You've got to have a cause. Don't be all over the place fighting for this social justice and this thing and that thing. There must be a central cause. And because we are sitting in this place, I want to believe that the gospel is your cause. Jesus said, go and make disciples of the nations, wherever they are. Teach them, baptize them, and do it until I come back again. That's our cause. I don't care whether you're a pastor, an elder, a deacon, a song person up here, praise and worship, a man, a woman, a boy or girl. That's our cause because if we believe in the creator of heaven, what he said we should do, that's how we live. That's a cause. If you understand, let me hear you say amen. That's why you're here today. You're worshiping because you are part of the cause of winning souls until Jesus comes. So if you as a young person have that as your cause, what are you going to do in choosing a partner? 
Wouldn't you want somebody that's going to the same place you're going? Okay, that's too much. Too religious. It's 2023. Let's go to community. The community is the people who raised you. Not just your parents, the neighborhood, aunties, uncles, friends, brothers, cousins, your cousins, cousins, cousin, the dog and the cat. Right? Community. Where your values come from. Your standards, your parents, the people that have taken care of you. That's the community. The church is a community. Is this person a part of the community? Not necessarily this congregation, but are they a part of the community you belong to? Your family, your tribe, your country, whatever it is. Do they have the ideals you hold on to? Can you cross-pollinate? Are the ideals and the values the same? You take the next step. Capacity. Capacity is how much of what they throw at you can you handle. Let me put it this way. The cause, what you stand for. The community, who you stand with. Capacity, how much you can stand. Here's what has happened, ladies and gentlemen. People today have abandoned the cause, they've abandoned the community, and they've taken all that energy and put it under capacity. Now they put up with everything. They have a porn addiction, I can deal with it. They have a gambling problem, that's cool, we'll deal with it. They don't love the Lord as much as you do. Hey, God said love everybody, right? Hippie kind of love, right? So we, we've abandoned everything for capacity. Pastor, I got this. He uses abusive words. He's raised his hand. But I know if I pray hard enough and I close my eyes and I clench my fists, he'll change. Pastor, the family she comes from don't love me. They're stressing out. She's, she's developed ulcers and, and her career is falling apart. But I am determined to marry her and make it work. Capacity. We've put all the energy under capacity. We don't care about the community. It's 2023, baby. It's what I want. That's how it's going to go. Cause, I'm not a religious person. I'm spiritual. I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. What does that mean? Oh, it means I believe in the universe. What is the universe? Who made it? Well, God made it, but I believe in the universe. Those are the people we are marrying today. They've abandoned the cause, they've abandoned the community, and all they have is capacity. But after the wedding, capacity is gone. Now they need the community. Now they need the cause, and pastor has to step in to help. And we will. We will. Sometimes people come from a community that's not supportive. They put pressure on you all your life. We're going to talk about that next month. Sometimes they want more than you can give. Sometimes the community is responsible for your capacity being less. You don't trust men because your father was a jerk. You don't trust women because your mom walked out. I get it. Sometimes the community fails, but God will never fail. Proverbs 27, 11 to 12. Parents, I know you're going to love this. Be wise, my child. The book of Proverbs most of them written by Solomon. There are some he wrote from the perspective of a father. Be wise, my child, and make my heart glad. Then I will be able to answer my critics. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton, you know what the word simpleton means? It means stupid, foolish. You don't think, you act first and don't process. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. So yes, what your parents think matters because you're part of the community. You can never stop being 
from your family. No matter how many decisions you make that you feel are yours, you will never stop being part of something. Because at the end of the day, back in the day, back, back way back before the Industrial Revolution, the community mattered. Pastor, that's why the Jews, the wedding lasted for seven days. Because it just wasn't about the family. Can I, can I have water, man? Uh, ship is going down. Don't be in a relationship out of need. <clears throat> but out of necessity. Please bear with me. What does that mean? Don't be in a relationship out of need, but out of necessity. People think they need to be in relationships because they're old enough, because they're friends and relationships, because mom and dad said so. That's need. I don't want to be the only one who's not married. I want to have somebody. That's need. Is it bad? Not necessarily. Is it wise? No, it's not. Because if you get in a relationship out of need, you are saying, I'm not complete. So if I have somebody, the people at the office will stop asking. The people at church will stop asking. Because now I'm married. But I want to tell you something. The community never gets satisfied. When I was single, Pastor, when are you getting married? You're 35 now. I got married. Pastor, when are you going to get kids now? Slow down. I got a kid. Pastor, when is the second one coming? Really? When does it stop? A child number five? Or when my kid has a kid? When does it end? Don't get married out of need. Get married out of necessity. What's the difference? Why are you playing with words? Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. God was not focusing on need. He was focusing on necessity. God understood that with a woman by his side, to complement the creative process that God had put inside of him, man would operate at his best. There was a social experiment that was conducted where couples went through a set of ex uh, uh, exercises and puzzles together, and then they were separated and caused to do them alone. But the nature of the experiment yielded these results, that when they were together, they worked faster, took less time, and did more. But separate, guys, you're not going to like this. The women had better results than the men did alone. Because the man has something in him innate that requires help. I've seen people who don't want to get married. They don't want the marriage paper. But they keep dating and dating. Why? Because inside, they can't be alone. They know they need somebody. They're just not man enough to commit but they say, Pastor, no, I want to be single. No, you don't. You just don't want to commit. You want to keep doing, doing the same process over and over again. Right? Because you're doing it out of need and not out of necessity. When you get married because you, you, your career is going great and you know that, you know what, I got so much love inside of me. I, I, I know I can love a man. I know I can love kids. I'm ready emotionally. I'm ready psychologically and financially. I can do this. That's necessity. Okay, let's go. Final one. Relationships are not about equal giving, but equal sacrifice. Pastor, the ship is going down. The throat is closing up. Just because she said she loves you when you were dating, after two weeks, doesn't mean you need to say it as well. Just because a person uh, buys something expensive doesn't mean you got to go get a bank loan to do the same. That's not what relationships are for. People have this idea that you must give equally. If I do this, you do that. Right? I've seen it in this culture, and my wife has dragged me into it. 
If we, somebody came to my wedding and they gave 10 million, guess what? When they get married, I have to give 10 million. If I give less, we get judged. Right? It's, it's got to be equal amount. Got to count it right down to the last rupiah. That's the concept we have. If I do this, you do that. Right? But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach equal giving. It teaches equal sacrifice. That's why we all give 10%. Equal sacrifice. What does that mean? Acts 20 verse 35. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. <clears throat> this applies in relationships. Because if you're willing to give, the, the, the satisfaction that comes from giving to your partner should be enough. It should be enough, but it never is. Because we want more. Last sermon, last day. Forgive me. Uh, I suffer from chronic gastritis and my throat is closing up right now, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut this down. Last sermon for this month, last sermon for the series. I want to pray with single people. If you're single, come join me up front here. I'm not asking you to come because I'm better than you. I'm asking you to come because maybe, maybe you want to get married. Or maybe you are happy being single, okay? Whatever it is, I want you to come to the front. I want to pray with you. Come to the front. I want to pray with you. Because after this, we're done with single people. We're moving on to the married folk and then the parents. So if you're single, and if you're with your partner, even better. Come with them. Just make sure they're the permanent partner because I might pray for a couple that's going to break up tomorrow. That's going to suck, okay? Make sure you plan to be together forever. Make space. Uh, pastor, just, just scoot over. Let them, let them come in. Just come in, guys. Come in. Come on in. Come on in. I promise this is not a Starbucks line. Just come right there. Okay. Awesome. Uh, I, I know some haven't come. I'm looking right at them. I know they're single, but they're still sitting. That's okay. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I want to let you know what I want to pray for. Because like I said in the beginning, you are single. There are married people who miss being what you are. So I don't want the single people to look at the married people and say, oh, you're better than me because you have somebody. That's not true. Don't view marriage like that. I'm going to call Pastor Henry to the stage to offer this prayer. Pray for the single people, Pastor. That they may see themselves first before they see somebody else. Pray for the married people that they may remember who they were before God and bring that back into the marriage. Let us pray. Father God, today we are grateful because your manservant revealed himself in an effort to help us to see what we sometimes don't see. And right here I have fellow singles on the journey either to be with someone, on the journey to the altar. And Father, it is my prayer today that they may see themselves. They may see themselves where they are. They may see themselves how they are. Father, it was Adam when he was naming the animals and then he said, wait, wait a minute, I got nobody. Then that's when you brought somebody. And Father, it is my prayer that all of us single people in the room may be at that place. Father, I have nobody. I've counted the mama bear. I've counted the elephant. I've counted the lioness. I've counted the lion. But Father, I have nobody. And also, Lord, I pray 
that they may see you. Uh, the scriptures are very clear. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything is going to be added. So Father, I pray that they may see themselves in the context of the kingdom. That Lord, you're going to add that husband. You're going to add that wife. You, you're going to add what is in lacking because they have found the kingdom. And Father, I also want to pray for the married people. Pastor has helped us to see that. When you're married, it doesn't mean that you stop being single. It simply means that you have another person in your life. But your individuality, your personality, who you are must continue. And I'm asking you, Father, that those who are in the room already married to somebody, whether it be one year, two years, 10 years, 15, 20, I pray, Father, that they may also be unique in their own individuality and personality. And that as they do that, Father, they would... Uh, they would add better to the marriage. And there is a relationship, uh, a husband and a wife who are focusing on making money, who are focusing on raising the kids, that they don't have time for each other. Lord, I pray that you break that mentality. Help them to have time to go out as a couple, date night and, and time to be together intimately, Father. Break the curse of wanting to do things for other people and not for the relationship, Lord. So, Father, today I pray for healing. I pray for restoration and I pray, Father, for your blessing. I humbly ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.